Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyer Labs. Today we have a really interesting guest with us, Bo Morgan. Bo is the technology lead at DreamWorks Animation and his research and focuses around social and emotional learning around AI models. And before that, Bo was at an AI startup that we'll talk about. And before that, he received his PhD at the MIT Media Labs. So I invited Bo on the show because I'm quite interested to learn more about his background and uh, what he's worked on in the past and a little bit of what he's doing now. So, Bo, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Sure, no problem, Dave. So, yeah, you have, you have a pretty interesting background. Do you mind uh, just giving us a, a little bit of an overview on how you came to where oh, be where you are now? Yeah, the, the social-emotional learning track is, a, is an interesting story. It kind of uh, goes around um, a circuitous route. Um, in high school, I started programming neural networks because um, my dad gave me a book, uh, C++, Fuzzy Logic and Neural Networks. And so it had a couple examples that I, I typed into the computer and did a science project using these things, um, which kind of won me an award that got me into MIT and let me talk to some of the most amazing researchers in the field of neural networks um, who had moved on to new things. Oh, I'm sorry. What, what year was that that, that you uh, started? Um, I got first? into... Uh, I started uh, programming when I was seven years old. I started programming the neural networks when I was in high school, maybe uh, 16. Wow. Wow. Um, 15. Okay. And then I got to MIT when I was 18. That was 99. Okay. Wow. So you were quite ahead. I mean, the neural networks, of course, become popular now. But anyways, go on. Neural networks are really simple. Yeah. Neural networks. A lot of people download toolkits to do neural networks in Python, and I think they're so simple. You can write them with 11 lines of Python. It's just a matrix multiplication and uh, a couple of addition. It's really a very simple algorithm. That's true. That's true. But but now they've gotten so more popular because of the the data and the computing power. I mean, they weren't quite as popular in 1999. Oh, yeah. We've got GPUs. NVIDIA is leading the charge. Intel is not necessarily investing in that. Huh. approach interesting okay all right sorry to interrupt keep going now you're at mit <laughs> no no and yet that's totally cool yeah. uh we're gonna go all over the place i'm sure <laughs> um so <laughs> let's see i'm at uh school talking with marvin minsky who invented neural networks perceptrons or worked on them i should say it was a large field um but he he wrote a book called perceptrons um and it was about neural networks and some of their limitations and some of the things they, they could do because he was helping to build these things. Um, and this led me to cognitive architectures and working under his graduate student, Push Singh. Um, and they were so, they had uh, theories that were so abstract. They were like fearless of abstraction um, that the neural networks were probably the way the neurons worked to some extent, to a frequency based extent, not to a, not if you actually deal with the timings of the spikes. Um, but at some level, they were so abstract in dealing with these very abstract cognitive architectures. And so I got interested in reflective thinking. Um, social-emotional models came in with the fifth and sixth layers of Marvin's um, emotion machine theory. Um, the self-reflective and self-consciously reflective layers involve personalities, identities, um, selves, person- uh, 
and others also that are modeled after the self. And then the self-consciously reflective layer, you have two models of mental recursion. Um, so not only are you thinking about the properties of the individual, yourself and others as individuals, but you can think about individual thoughts about individuals. And so you have this doubly recursive type of self-modeling huh. um, that allows you to do guilt and pride and these some of the strongest emotions that I saw AI models of under Marvin. Um, and so then you can start to think of what would she think of me? Um, wow. And, and what I am doing. And okay. So, and how do you even begin to model, you know, something like guilt or pride, like in a computer, uh, you know, in, in a model, uh, in an algorithm? That's exactly, yeah, that's a great question. And that's, I mean, any type of, um, thinking, you'd ask that question. What's a machine that could do the same thing, right? Yeah. And so, like, there are different kinds of just, like, simple machines that can do these things. Um, it comes down to where does a, like, if you model it as a goal-oriented machine, for example, and you don't have to, but let's say that we do. Um, so there's a goal-oriented machine. It, it makes plans toward a goal. It can execute the plan, see if they work. Um, these need goals. Where do the goals come from is the question, right? Um, so if we're going to talk about a machine that has goals and can do these things and call that intelligence, where do the goals come from? And so then you start to introduce culture basically is to, to make a long story short, um, humans have culture and they communicate it from parents to children. Um, and so there are these special social relationships that communicate via language and via other means, um, from parents to children. So there's this special model in the child's mind that says, this is where I get my goals. I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but did no, that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, no, I mean, and then, but, and then how do you actually take that and, uh, create a model, um, you know, more, even more detailed or I guess than uh, you know, right. that was a good overview, but yeah. How do you take that and actually start uh, programming a model? <laughs> to reflect? Oh, how do you program it? Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I would use a hierarchical approach, um, just to think of categories of the types of mind, right? So the brain is divided into six uh, segments of the uh, spinal column, basically. Um, and so you can think of it in six parts. The parts of the brain are useful to think of as different functional areas, and you might want to build those in a computer program. But I think cognitive architecture-wise, there's a different approach, but you still think hierarchically. So at the highest level, there are layers. Um, these can be an array in a Python program. Hmm. You have six layers, you have an array with six slots. Um, the computer program is not complicated yet. It's, it's what the layers mean that are complicated. Um, and so when you look at Marvin's theory, for example, if you want a six-layer theory, there are other four-layer theories that are more conventional. Um, but basically, the bottom four layers are always the same. There's built-in reactive thinking, there's learned reactive thinking, there's deliberative thinking, and there's reflective thinking. Um, and these are all pretty standard ideas in robotics. So at the bottom layer, you have the API for the robot. These are the things that don't change. These are the sensory inputs and the motor control outputs. Um, if you're going to solve a problem, you're going to use the actuators. Um, you're going to perceive whether or not the problem's accomplished through the estimators. Um, and so that's your lowest level API. At the layer above that, you have learned reactions. So there are sequences, little compiled programs you can learn or hand program in that will do things using this lowest level API. That layer changes through experience. 
Um, the deliberative layer is layer three. That's where you build plans toward goals. Um, so you build a planning machine. It has some kind of language, some logic that abs- abstracts the model of the world um, and uses that to reason and try to accomplish specific configurations of the world, partial states, if you will. Um, then there's the reflective thinking layer. We can go on. There's the reflective thinking layer that will debug um, the planning layer, learn about how to plan, how to think. Um, so my PhD was focused on the, the fourth layer. And then there's the fifth and sixth, which we've discussed, is the self-reflective and self-consciously reflective. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and, and do you have a project, and maybe it made it through dissertation, that, uh, you know, you kind of implemented at least the fourth layer? And, uh, yes. Yeah, how it worked. There's open source. It's called Funk2. Okay. <laughs> um, nice. F-U-N-K, and then the numeral 2. Okay. It's on GitHub. Okay. And that has all four layers. Oh, back to the hierarchical idea. Sorry that I got stuck on the, the first level of the hierarchy. It's the six categories. But then there are agencies within layers. These are groups of resources that solve a certain type of problem. So you'll have a physical agency in the built-in reactive layer. You'll have a sensory agency in the built-in reactive layer. The resources that are the parts of that, are they can be arbitrarily complex or simple units. Um, but basically they are things that can be activated, suppressed. Um, they're kind of like parallel processes. If you want to think of them that way, if you want to think of them as physical parts of the brain, they're like fMRI images that turn on and off. That's a horrible analogy. (laughs) Um, parts of the brain do not implement these abstract types of resources. Um, but there would be some kind of computational equivalent, right? So there's a, I don't know the, the modern neural term for um, patterns, temporal patterns across the brain. Um, and I don't know what the best analogy would be, but, you know, there's electrical activity, there are spiking neurons, there's, okay. um, I, I forget the actual term, or there's a sparse coding. Um, but, but anyway, I'm, yeah. And, and, and do you have... There's three layers of hierarchy. I layers, agencies, resources. Interesting. Okay. And do you have, like, a specific... A specific example where maybe MIT or outside MIT where like, hey, we have this goal of training this robot or AI to do this, and then, and this is how we made that happen. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I worked on um, well, it, it it wasn't a real robot that I worked on at MIT. It was a, a simulated model. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so um, that's one. Yeah, that's one decision you have to make is whether you build a real robot or run in simulation. Um, and so, what I got the it was a very basic logical simulation. It had um, real numbers and then very minimally realistic physics, um, real time. And it would move a it was a basic blocks world, a Terry Winograd blocks world. And it would move a claw left and right, and it, you could drop the claw and pick up whatever was below it, basically like those arcade kind of machines. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and so then it could stack blocks uh, if they're of the right shape. And then you can give it goals like, I want the red triangle on top of the green cube, that kind of thing, um, or the red pyramid on top of the green cube. Um, and so it would learn to stack these blocks. Um, and so I built a system that would uh, do that. It would, it would execute plans to do that. And then it would learn when different types of plans succeed or fail. 
Hmm. And so it, it showed the deliberative learning about the physical world and the physical actions and their causal models would be, be updated. And then it had a layer above it, which was a reflective layer that watched the planning machine manipulate plans um, and decide to execute specific plans um, based on different um, planning algorithms. And it would make a correlation between the effects of executing a plan result in a failure object being connected to that plan versus a success object being connected to that plan. Um, and so it could learn the results of planning decisions to execute different types of plans and um, learn how to think, basically. Huh, interesting. Um, the specific example was uh, two blocks on a table, the, uh, let's say, green pyramid and blue cube again. Um, they're both on the table. And so if you pick up the... If you decide to execute... You know two plans, basically. You know um, how to search for plans. You know two methods for how to plan, basically, which is how to think in the analogy. Um, and so one is to go through your most, um, your oldest learned plans and start with those and then come forward in time, um, trying each one in your imagination and imagining the effects of that plan and then um, seeing if it accomplishes your goal in your imagination. And then you say, oh, well, it does accomplish my goal. I'm going to execute it. Um, there's another way of planning where you can go to your most recently learned plan uh, and do this imaginative process backwards in time through all your plans as you've learned them previously. Um, and so these two different methods of planning are good for different types of problems. And so what the system would learn is that when it executed um, the oldest plans first um, for solving a problem involving uh, triangles on cubes or something like, or it was a, it learned that executing the oldest plan for stacking a triangle on a cube was, um, resulted in a failure object. Um, and so actually it, it was stacking two blocks. Sorry. I'm, I'm misremembering it. It's a complicated model that, that even that I'm, uh, Happy to um, let rest in my mind for a few years um, because I just focused on it for so long. Oh, yeah. um, but the goal was to, to stack a cube upon, or sorry, to stack a block upon a block, yeah. and it didn't matter the shape. And so what it did was it it found this old plan for stacking a um, a cube upon pyramid, and it failed. And so it, it, it categorized that effect of deciding to execute that type of plan, the old plan, was um, led to a failure plan a failure attached to a plan and so what it there was a reflective goal to have the planning machine avoid creating failure objects um and so reflectively the the thinking had failed as well um, because it had resulted in a plan that had a failure object attached to it and so what it would learn is when i see this type of problem um i should execute my more recent i should not execute that plan because it will lead to um a, an expectation failure Hmm. Um, so that's a very specific example of a relatively complicated form of thinking. Yeah, and, and how would it know if it succeeded or not? I mean, of course we we know, but uh, how would the it has yeah. it has perceptions of its environment, um, and so it doesn't have um, any real sensors because it's a simulation, okay. and so it can see that there that's a block and it's blue, and these are all symbolic in the mind of the. Um, of the reasoner. And so these are directly input. And so when it has goals like stacking the blue block upon the red 
pyramid and it can look at the table and see very clearly in, you know, uh, logical terms, what is true and what isn't true. And so it can clearly compare, okay, here's my goal and here's what's true about the world. And they're not the same. They're not what I expected. Gotcha. And what was the, one of the most difficult parts of that project? I mean, it was many difficult, difficult parts, but, uh, Oh, uh, <laughs> the politics, the po- really to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah. It's just so hard to do. It's a very theoretical AI project that has no real world application directly. I am so excited to take this learning algorithm, which scales to n layers. You can do n layers of reflection. Um, so given one failure, one expectation failure, if you have n layers of reflective thinking, you have n things you can learn, which is the opposite wow. of big data. Yeah, It is the epitomal opposite of big data. And I have focused on that specifically one shot learning. And you can learn an infinite amount about the smallest failure. Interesting. Well, and I mean, I'm excited to implement it. Right. That's. I mean, in a that's, in a practical way, I've shown it working theoretically. Okay. And is that one of your? Is that? I know on your website you have some current research projects. Is that uh, what you hope to uh, implement? I do. Um, I'm trying to simplify the algorithm. I went hog wild implementing a programming <laughs> okay. language in my PhD, and I learned a lot, and that was my goal. Um, I'm kind of a bastard that way. Um, but I implemented this very theoretical abstract algorithm on top of it. And so what I plan to do now is write it in JavaScript, which is a relatively beautiful language. Um, not as beautiful as Scheme, but it, it's a very beautiful language, very similar. Um, and so implemented in JavaScript, very abstract, very simple to understand. Um, and just get a little demo to run. I bet I could get it to run faster than I wrote it in C, which is a very low-level programming language that I was trying to make everything run super fast and actually made it run extremely slow. But I learned a lot about computer science in that experience. Well, and your vision is so interesting because often what's such a big problem is that uh, to train these models, you need such a huge amount of data, or and uh, which is tough, Usually. especially robots. Yeah, yeah, and which so- is awesome because we have a lot of data suddenly. We do. Um, it'll solve things. a lot of problems for us, which for, is cool. For certain things, but sometimes it's hard to get that data. So if you could start learning... Totally. You don't want to get that data sometimes. Right. You're right. And it's very hard. (laughs) Um, Yes. So with this, uh, with your, uh, with this new research project, you know, what would, uh, what would be a good, like, use case or goal if you, you know, if you write in JavaScript and it can, it can do X. Right. All right. What would be... I'm thinking of teaching. Okay. um, An open source, like, programming class. Huh. Where we we use the tools, we visualize the algorithm running, um, and if I can get thirty students a year learning how to how to manipulate those ideas, um, understanding infinite learning from a single failure, I think that would amplify the the idea. And I would work at the same time on building the algorithm. You know, having a research group that focused on that, even if it were just myself. Interesting. Well, that's a, I, I like that vision. That'd be great. And. I mean, do you see this helping, um, you know, in certain, uh, well, it could help in lots of industries. Do you see any specific industries where it could be especially useful, like maybe early on? If you, I don't know if you thought about that. but Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a very good question. Um, I've, been, I've been applying it to social and emotional learning. Um, and making interactive robots and games for kids that could try to get to 
like using this cognitive architecture, so the six-layered model, getting up to layer four, which was the focus of the learning algorithm. Um, and so having, you know, training children to, not, like, the current, like, brain training software or education, most of this uh, neurally-based or psychologically-based brain training software is focused on relatively... Um, in terms of the model, they're layers uh, one through three. And at very little of layer three, which is deliberative thinking, is represented. Uh, most of it is perceptual. Most of it is motor control, okay. reaction timing. Um, there's some visual path planning. There's uh, a lot of visual training, a lot of auditory training. Um, there's some executive function training. Um, there is... Um, there is a form of reflective thinking that I have seen on one of these brain training websites um, that has to do with task switching, I believe, um, which is a psychological experiment where they'll have a game where they present like colored numbers. And they say, if the num if the task is task one, um, you, you're going to um, press the button if the number is even. If the task is task two, press the button if the color is red. Hmm. Um, and so then they will have they will cycle these numbers at you of varying colors and numbers, um, and the task will be switching every once in a while. They'll they'll pop a little flag up that says, "Okay, task two, task one, um, or you know letters, numbers, or, or sorry, uh, numbers, colors." You know, and they'll change yeah. the task that way. Um, and so there is a very very basic form of reflective control but i that's all that's all that i've seen and i think we can really go much further with clearer and more advanced models of reflective thinking in terms of ai agents that are competitive <laughs> um, that can think these ways really well and they can play games with children who can think really fast and are learning to think in those ways um and so i think that would be a fun sport just like for children to play these like you know games and compete against these highly intelligent agents. Huh. Um, but getting up to layers four, five, and six, social-emotional learning, you know, there's a lot of children that could benefit from tools in those areas. Interesting. And do, do, you, uh, do you have an example of what a game like that would be if you had your ideal? In Yeah, there's, um, let's see. We had a few ideas for conversational agents at AI Brain. Um, oh, yeah. Do you they to, had do you some... Talk, do you want to talk about AI Brain quick since... Uh... Oh, yeah, sorry. AI Brain was a startup that I was a part of um, a couple years ago, 2013 and um, 2014. Uh, and so we presented at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show a little toy robot that was made um, by Bonavision in Korea, hmm. um, which is another uh, company, a sister company, basically. Our, we share a CEO. He's a serial entrepreneur, successful startup uh, security company in Korea. And since then he has, you know, um, I don't know how many companies, but, but, but probably <laughs> I know of five, oh, wow. um, very, very interesting, successful man, uh, Richard Shin. And so he has this vision to build this true AI. And so he's starting with these toy robots for kids. He has lots of educational robots. Um, and so I was trying to turn this, um, toward an educational activity that would do social emotional learning games with children inspired by neuroscience and hmm. these upper layers of Marvin Minsky's model. Um, and so there were conversational agents. So you could have games with children that were based in 
social online worlds where parts of the game are with their friends from school, if it's tied into the educational programs at school. Um, um, but, or you could have a, a database to look up these friends. Um, the social environment would allow you to communicate with artificial agents um, in the beginning. So you could have your, uh, your kind of little robot friend um, that, be, that is a gift to you in the beginning of the game. Um, and then your robot friend introduces themselves and introduces you to this world of social emotional learning, um, where you make, uh, uh, little games out of the different, uh, cognitive tasks. So for example, you go to the mall and you have to get like, um, uh, groceries and also like, um, your haircut and like a couple other tasks. And so there's different stores in the mall that where each of these different things are done and you, you have to make a plan for getting around this mall. Um, the execution of, so this was a executive function, visual processing. Um, and part of it was trying to focus on social emotional learning. And so one of the basic aspects of social thinking is theory of mind, the ability to think about what someone else knows, um, or think about what their goals are. And so, Part of this was um, in the mall situation, there would be areas like if there's a pillar in the middle of the room. So you can't see through the pillar. You're like a first person character. And so when actually the user is has a God's eye view, but the character that you're controlling and the various characters in the scene, you can see that, that they can't see everything in the room. Hmm. And so people can be hiding from other people. Objects can be hidden and someone can be confused. Where's my keys? And they're kind of walking around the mall and the keys are behind the pillar. And so you can help him because you know that he doesn't know where the keys are and you can actually point to the keys and he can see you point to the keys. And so this kind of triangulation that, um, obfuscation based, um, on not obfuscation, but obscuring the vision with these physical objects in the room, um, allows children to build models of what people must be thinking about other people. Um, and so those are the types of thinking that I'd really like to get into these educational games and keep them fun, keep them on a social level because, well, actually, they really are social. And so later in the game, you start introducing real friends. It's not just artificial agents you're interacting with. It's it's like your friend Billy from school is going to play the mall scene with you. And now you're both characters and you're communicating to each other using the same social tools you used with the artificial agents. Interesting. Wow. Okay. That's cool. And, uh, and um, and are they still working that at the AI brain or is it? They're still working. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So AI brains, um, still going strong. They've got, um, I think there's, they're still working with, uh, with Daniel, um, Kovacs, who is a, uh, professor of planning in, um, Budapest university. Okay. And so they have a very strong layer three, basically the deliberative thinking layer. And Dan, uh, builds planners, so he has a very uh, reflective view of planning. So I think they're going to get up uh, to these higher level layers. And Richard is uh, very focused on social robotics, and so I think um, the social emotional trajectory they're on will continue. Interesting. And and so what prompted and and uh, just for the audience, we're not going to talk a whole lot about DreamWorks today, but um, sure. What, what, okay. can you, what prompted you to uh, go to uh, DreamWorks, and maybe that's Maybe that's the work you yeah. can't just talk about, but uh, at least I'll ask. Yeah, I, 
I worked on artificial intelligence okay. at DreamWorks. Um, I am continuing to work on social emotional learning okay. models. Um, and this is uh, technology. Um, DreamWorks technology is very focused on children. And so my work is, is very inspired by those same kinds of educational goals. Um, I, I think it's safe for me to say that I'm not working in the, in the production film okay. part of the business. Um, I'm, I'm working in, um, a part of the business that's kind of, um, really focused on advanced artificial intelligence, um, storytelling, um, types of artificial intelligence, film, cinema, storytelling. And so, um, we've just been bought by Comcast, as you may know, yeah. and it's very exciting to see the, the transition and, and whether, and where I will land, basically. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I'm super excited about the stuff that I'm working on right now. Huh, okay, cool. Um, well, maybe uh, in the future we can have you back on and you can talk more about that. For sure. <laughs> yeah, it will be public um, after um, the Comcast deal goes through. We really can't make any legal moves at oh, the moment. yeah, 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 fair enough. Okay, cool. Um, and so we're getting kind of near the end of the interview, but you, you – uh, you gave a present, but I'm curious to ask about the. You gave a presentation on a um, cognitive cognitive architectural map of AI startups, and so uh, it's a really interesting presentation um, that you gave. That it's on your website, and uh, I, I mean, that, there's a lot there. We've actually talked about a fair amount of it already, um, and so we can dive in a little bit more. But w one question I have for you, you know, you you talked about. Um, where AI startups should focus. You know, you don't want to f necessarily focus too late. Or you, if if there's other companies already in production right. and commercialized, maybe you should focus someplace else. Um, can you yeah. get into that a little bit? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think there's there's a... Yeah, that was, a I think, a, a point I wanted to make about um, the various um, maturity of different technology. And so the idea that it begins as a philosophical thought, um, it, it progresses to, um, I'm now I'm not going to remember my own model. There were six, <laughs> six progressions. Um, I think it went to a, a mathematical theory and then it went to, um, a computational implementation and then it went to, uh, a, let's see, a computational practical application. Um, in a research setting and then it went to uh, uh, an implementation a practical implementation in a commercial setting um, and then it went to a startup idea where this is not something that a company is making it that it's being used in a company product this is a company yeah it stands alone as a company gotcha and um, and so in that in that gradation I was trying to say not one size fits all, but where should you focus and, and what are guidelines for how to determine where you focus in that spectrum? Am I going to go study theoretical math? Am I going to, um, you know, look at the uh, startups that are out in the world? Um, what should I be looking at? What should I be learning um, how to make? And so I think the, the graduate student is going to focus on theoretical math and the algorithms that haven't been implemented computationally yet. Some graduate students will be interested more in learning business uh, applied kind of product skills. And so they'll take something that's already been implemented computationally and they'll use it and, and learn how to use it and to build products with it. 
um, kind of like using the neural network toolkits to make products. Um, and the, the businessman, right. Who's, um, uh, trying to figure out what the next, uh, startup idea is, should be looking at these, um, uh, AI ideas that have just been implemented, um, and that haven't been, uh, proven in products yet. And he should also be looking at the things that, that have product ideas that are out there that maybe could stand alone as a startup that just focuses on that. Gotcha. That makes sense. No, that's interesting. Okay. Um, and, and so we're almost, uh, near the end here. I do have kind of one random question for you. I, and I, I always, uh, and you mentioned at the beginning, you know, how with 11 lines of Python code and you can implement a neural network in Python. And, and so do you think many of these AI startups are, um, tweaking all these neural networks or are they taking kind of the, I mean, there's lots of ways to tweak the parameters, of course, around a neural network, but the actual guts of the neural network or the recurrent neural networks, are, are they tweaking the um, the actual code for that, or are they just kind of uh, taking what... I really don't know, yeah. and I think it's different in every case. Okay. I think right. to do a successful startup is not going to be tweaking the neural network. Okay. Um, it's... I mean, I just... My minimal experience in... You know, I was at, at AI Brain for, for two years... And the, the the number of hats you have to wear and the number of stories you have to tell to different people yeah. um, about what you're doing and the value of what you're doing t- is to them. Um, that tweaking, if you're sitting around on your computer tweaking neural networks, <laughs> or, or you you need to be doing that for like 15 minutes out of the day. Um, uh, but but somebody needs to be like building the product, which is not going to be AI and and there's so much more to AI than just neural networks. There's the user interface. There's all kinds of, of interesting, uh, intelligent parts of the application. Um, I think neural networks are, a, are a recently useful tool and they require a, a scaffolding, which is pretty standard. One is that there's feature, um, feature extraction. And so design engineering features that will make learning how to solve your problem easy. Um, is an art. Um, the training of the neural network, as you said, the tweaking the parameters, that's an art. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> it, building your own neural networks is, as you said, often part of that process. Um, and so, but there's, you know, and all the GPU math, right? And using these, uh, these NVIDIA Tesla 5000 core processors to do the math in the parallel. Oh my God, it's so much fun. I wish I was doing it. But I have other things to do. Uh-huh. And that wouldn't be working toward my goals, even though that sounds like a lot of fun and I should do it, you know, in my open source hobby time, um, which, you know, is also filled with these other open source projects. But those are such um, cool machines that I think, you know, working on that is awesome. But um, the, the startups, you know, we're going to make money with this. It's not just fun for a hobby. Like, you really have to focus on what's the business plan. How are we going to make money? And, and it comes down to, you know, sometimes walking around knocking on doors. I had a buddy making a startup company, finding people jobs. Um, like he could match your personality and your whole profile and all of your previous um, job search uh, history to recommended jobs. And it would consider what do you like in the workplace? What do you, um, what kind of culture would you like to have? Um, all these different traits of the job company that were social. Um, and so it was an awesome website and it worked really well. He had to go like on foot 
you know, to like try to recruit people by, you know, old style, like recruiting, like this was a recruiting company and he had to, he had to, you know, hit the pavement and go recruit some people just to, to grease the machine. Yeah, and that's what it takes. I mean, you're right. There's a part of it's the technology, and part of it's the hustle, or the part of it's the. the oh, totally. Yeah. And and there's a big difference between AI and AI startups. Yeah. Oh, good point. Good point. Okay. Well, and I think that's a a pretty good way to end the interview. It's, which too bad I've got a lot more questions for you, and you know maybe we'll have you back on down the road when you can <laughs> talk about your dream works work a little bit more. And uh, but no, I really appreciate your time and thoughts and. I learned a lot, and I hope the audience learned a lot, too. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Definitely. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of uh, Flyover Labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time on here. Bye, everyone.